Hey everyone, thanks for joining us again for All Things Evangelism. I'm here today with Sven Ostring, the Church Planting Director for the North New South Wales Conference. And as we do a weekly podcast in our department here in evangelism, and we like to just touch on relevant topics, and I bring people in who I think have something to contribute to the specific subject that we're addressing that week. And this week it's Sven, and we're talking about miracles and evangelism. So Sven, thanks, man, for mm. joining us. It's really good to be here. Yeah, it's good to have you. Mm. I always like chatting with you. It's We get into some pretty cool topics, I'd say. So. so it makes the conversations interesting, yeah. and a lot of food for thought. That's it. Yeah, we live in the modern era, mm. and a lot of people in our time, not only do they not see miracles, or at least they think they don't see miracles, but they don't believe that miracles exist. We look at Scripture as Bible-believing Seventh-day Adventist Christians, and we see lots of miraculous power on display in the church and just in the world. And what do you say to someone who feels like, hey, look, we're called to evangelism, we're called to mission. And in the olden days, in the old times, in biblical times, there's miracles. Jesus is doing miracles. The apostles are doing miracles. There's miracles in the Old Testament. But there's no miracles today. What do you say to that? What is your feeling and thought and response in regards to that sentiment? Well, I guess the the first thing I'd say, Matt, is I really love miracles. And I've wondered, why have I got to this kind of point? But I guess it's, I don't know, there's something amazing about experiencing the power of God in your life or our lives. And for me, it's been a concept that I've dived deeper and I want to dive in more. But you're absolutely right. I remember when, when I was in England, I had a friend say to me, have you ever seen a miracle? And it really stopped me in my tracks because it's, as a Christian, I guess it's one of the things that you always wish that you had a miracle card in your back pocket. You could just pull out that card and say, yeah, I've seen the dead raised back to life. I've seen a blind man come, his sight restored and all of those kind of things. But I think the first thing, Matt, is this, is that it's a question of how do we spot miracles? Can we spot a miracle? Or, or do we drive past and not see them at all? And I guess the big question is when you pray, when you're in a rush and you're heading towards the shopping center and you really have to get in there and out before and you pray, Lord, help me find a car park. And was that a miracle when you found the car park or was that just the random kind of uh, flux of cars going in and out and you happen to find a car right where you needed it to? And I guess that's one of the big things that we need to explore is have we as a culture and a society, have we got to the point where we actually don't see the supernatural and the miraculous all around us? Yeah, like we're only seeing what we're looking for. So when you just preclude the supernatural, you assume that it's not there. Yes. Well, then you just never see it. That's right. That's right. And when I was younger and we had the Bible stories and the bedtime stories and all of those kind of things, we would always we'd always talk about our guardian angel being there beside us to protect us, to care for us, obviously under the direction of God and the Holy Spirit. But sometimes I think we've almost moved away from that. We're to the point where we don't actually almost see the angelic forces around us. And is that because they've gone? Good angels and demons just not around us? They were never there in the first place, Sven. We were just superstitious. The past was just filled with all kinds of mythical stories and ideas, and people were so uneducated that they just 
They could. They didn't know science. They didn't know reality. Yeah, the and that that's true. You go to you know, third world countries, and we can name some. For example, I had good friends in the Philippines, a highly Catholic country, and they would regularly see evil spirits that would harass them, and and it was a really scary, dangerous kind of thing. Here in Australia, we've moved on from that. But I would say to you, Matt, the fact is this is that spiritualism is growing. In fact, in great controversy in the chapter Snares of Satan, Alan White actually says that one of the strategies of Satan is to get people to believe that he doesn't exist. So if Satan can do that, but I see as we've moved to a post-secular era and society, we are starting to see more and more demonic powers. So the question really is this, as spiritualism grows, do we look for, do we pray for, do we ask for more miracles to be able to engage in the spiritual battle? I believe we're getting to that point. We need to move forward to really be to be praying for miracles in the midst of our churches, in the midst of our ministries, visitation, Bible studies, and in our evangelism as, as well. Yeah, I think when we talk about miracles in evangelism, we also have to ask the question, when you see these miracles in Scripture, what was their purpose? What was the point of the miracle? And if you don't really understand what the point of the miracles were in, in the Bible, then you, you may just assume that it's a very simple equation. If God is there, there's miracles. If God is leading, there's miracles. And if there's no miracles, then God's not leading. The power of God is not with an organization or a movement. And Matt, on that point, I wanted to bring in a very biblical term here. Mm-hmm. And that is the John's preferred term for miracles was actually signs. And that you can do a, a word search through John, you'll get signs. This is the first sign that Jesus did. Or uh, now all of the signs that he did, there's more of them, but we couldn't re- um, record them all. Mm-hmm. But we've, what we've recorded has been written to, to grow your faith in in Jesus. But what does the word sign mean? You could make it very complicated and technical, but a sign is a pointer. When you drive up to to Tweed, or if you drive down to the central coast, you will see signs along the way. And the the signs are not just pretty pictures along the road, just to give you a warm, fuzzy kind of feeling. Wow, somebody can construct a sign. They're there to point to a different reality. So the question is this, what were the signs that Jesus performed really for? What was the point of them? Where were they pointing to? And what I see in the Bible is that he performed signs to point to the kingdom of God that he was ushering into this world. That is the point of a miracle. That's the point of a a sign. So we come back to, say, the book of Acts, where, you know, Peter and he's doing all of these amazing signs. And there's another guy, Simon, who sees all of this miraculous power and he goes, I want some of that. Yeah, that would yeah. be really cool. And, and he How much does it cost how me much to, to get some of what you've... Exactly. And so Peter says to him, look, you're completely on the wrong track. Why? Because you haven't understand the point of the miracles. What does a sign mean? A sign that Jesus would perform was to show that in the kingdom of God, there's no death, there's no blindness, there's no leprosy there's no crippled people and and so what he was doing is he was saying this is what the kingdom of god is i'm showing you do you want to be part of that so this is the the powerful concept of science now the thing is if you're driving up to Wollombar, for example or or wherever ministry may take you if you see a sign to Mwilumbar, 
then you know you're on the right track. So you see a sign, you're on the right track. But the question is, if for the next 20Ks you don't see a sign, should you exit the... A lack of a sign does not necessarily mean you're on the wrong no, yeah. absolutely. Because yeah. a sign has a specific purpose. They're, they're not just magical tricks to, to wow people. And that's, if we go back to the temptations in the, the wilderness, mm-hmm. that is what Satan was tempting Jesus to do. He was saying, do a miracle, prove yourself to, to gratify your own heart's desires, your own hunger. Do a miracle to fulfill God's mission in a shortcut kind of way, mm-hmm. or do it in a way that will really catch the attention of the people like a stuntman. Jump off the temple and, yep. and people will really be impressed. Miracles, too, is, is, this is what, what you're saying really in summary, is there a means to an end. And when I see Jesus's ministry, he's getting the whole Christian movement started. Mm. And it's a lot harder to get something started than it is to continue something along. And what I mean, if you're going to push something, so there's a car and there's four men and they've got to get that car moving. It takes more power to get the car moving than it does to keep the car moving once momentum, once mm. there's momentum. And so the Christian movement itself required more supernatural power at the onset. And the Bible would call that the early reign. So the ministry of Jesus and then the ministry of the apostles, you've got this magnificent outpouring of miraculous power and that gets the christian movement moving and so i think the power of god is given as it is needed and it's commensurate with the challenges at hand and so when you're living in a free society where it's not a death sentence to become a christian and people can accept jesus accept the truth of scripture without any repercussions necessarily and i just i guess then you don't need what you needed in the first century this is not an excuse into saying okay then there's no need for miracles today it's it, the basic point though is that in in times of extreme need god gives extreme power and so if you were an israelite in egypt and you left egypt you left egypt at the command of god and you're out in the middle of the wilderness at god's behest and so god's going to come through with food from the sky and water from rocks and these kinds of things. But that's only because you followed his word, you exited Egypt, and you're on your way to the promised land, and he's your only source of help and strength. And and so he's going to come through for you. But if you stayed in Egypt, guess what? Like You're not going to see miracles. They obeyed God, they followed him, and, and they were in extreme circumstances, and that required God's extreme power. And also the concept that the, the devil knew that a lot was at stake. When Jesus came, he came for the mission to die on the cross to save the whole world. Mm. And so what that meant is that, that effectively the devil knew that he had to fight very hard. So you, on the one hand, you've got this extreme demonic activity. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, you've got you know, Jesus coming with his supernatural power. But there's another aspect as well, and Peter actually points to it. He said we were on the, the Mount of Transfiguration together. We saw the glory of Jesus. That was a miracle. It was a supernatural experience. Moses and Elijah and the, the dazzling white, all of those kind of things. But then he goes on to say, we have this more sure word, the word of prophecy, powerful sign. And the question comes into it is this, are we willing to put faith in the signs that we already have along the way? Like that road analogy, 
We Are we willing to trust where God has already led us and, and to continue to trust him, including the prophecy, including the signs like the resurrection and, and Pentecost and, and all of those? Are we willing to trust and to learn and to share the truth and the prophecies that God has revealed to us? This is a really important thing. Dostoevsky in the book Brothers Karamazov, he said, it's not necessary that it's miracles that generate faith. It's actually faith that leads to miracles. And isn't that the central feature to everything we're saying? Yes. In Scripture, was Jesus a man of faith? Absolutely. Was Moses a man of faith? Absolutely. Was Elijah a man of faith? Miracles were the product yes. of their experience with God. Mm. That's heavy. That's the connecting link between all the stories, is the faith of the individual, and it produces supernatural power. Yes. And no, and I should, that's a weird way to say it. It's not like they're producing the supernatural power, but it's accessing yes. the, the supernatural. Way, the way I like to look at it is faith is the window that, or the door that we open to, to, to God's supernatural power in our lives. Now, of course, don't get me wrong. Of course, God created us with the capacity for faith in the first um, instant, the prevenient grace and all that kind of stuff. But the key is this, is that we, when we are willing to open up the window of our souls to what God can do in our lives, that's really important. But the, the other aspect to it, Matt, is this, is that miracles occur because of the choice and intentions of God. So he's the one that chooses. We don't, it's not like a, that candy or lolly machine where you just put in the dollar and out comes a, another piece of candy, another lolly kind of thing. What we need to say is, do I have the faith in God that no matter whether I have a sign or not, I accept what he has shared with me, the prophecies, going through Genesis, Daniel, the Gospels, Acts and, and Revelation. Do yeah. I accept that and put my faith and trust whether there's a miracle or not, I'm going to continue on this road of faith. Yes, that's so, so, such a valid point. And as an individual, we, we have to ask ourselves the question, do I lead God or does God lead me? Do mm. I guide the Holy Spirit or does the Holy Spirit guide me? And Acts 5.32 comes to mind where Peter says, we are his witnesses of these things and so also is the Holy Spirit yes. whom God has given to those who obey. And so the word of God is the thing that prompts the believer, mm. not a miracle, not a sign, not the demonstration of their senses, but they hear God's word because they love him. And so mm. they keep his commandments. And then Jesus gives the Holy Spirit power to the believer. And then signs can manifest out of that. Mm. And I think it's really important to have that order correct because really ultimately paganism spiritualism is founded on this notion that you do some ritual or some ceremony and then you command the divine. You control. You, com you control the supernatural. Mm. And so now you are really, in essence, the God who's calling God into action with this whatever service or ceremony or ritual. Mm. You play this certain kind of music. You do this certain kind of dance. You have this certain kind of light show. You do this certain kind of mass celebration. And all of a sudden now, you can you have power. It's really carnal. But biblical faith is based on the word of God, the spoken word of God, and falling into compliance with that spoken word. And as you say, God is choosing to do the miracle. 
And you're really just choosing to harmonize yourself with the God who does miracles. It's interesting. I was in a Bible study recently where there was a Swedish woman who was really into new age. And it was very interesting. She just seemed to really enjoy being part of the Bible study. But she was a very, she was a spiritual seeker. She was on a journey. She certainly wasn't a Christian follower of Jesus yet. And it's very interesting that as we went along, we were talking about God and you could tell her really wrestling with it. And then at one point in the Bible study, she said, I've, I have been directed or I have been led to share with you this. And she said, I need to tell you, you are the masters. And in the Bible study, we we all just stunned right there. And we moved quickly. We shared John 3.16 and, and we prayed. But there's a lot of journeying that that lady would need to do. But it really demonstrated exactly what you said. You could see or, or you could really sense that the, the evil spirits were asking her to tell us that, that you have control of this. It's not God in, in control of the universe. We're the masters of our destiny and our future as well. And to a more um, personal story, Uh, Matt, I remember when I was in a young church, a a church plant, where one of the families, the son, Tim, was dying, had got brain cancer, a a tumor, very aggressive. And uh, we were praying. He was only eight years old. And we were praying. We were praying that God healed Tim. Healed Tim. His parents need this miracle, and it's devastating for them as well. And we'd get together in a small group and we'd pray for Tim. But I reached the point where I thought to myself, where is our faith? Where is my faith? Is my faith and confidence and focus on the outcome, the healing? It must be healing. Tim must be healed. Or is my faith in God and allow him to choose which way he goes? And and what I came to realize was this is that my faith had to be in God. And the reality is this, is that Tim will be healed of all of his infirmities at one point in in time. And that is, if he puts his faith and trust in God, in Jesus, he will be healed, he'll be raised back to, to life regardless of when if that occurs now or when Jesus comes back. And that needs to be my, our faith. The reality was that unfortunately he did pass away. And in many ways, the, the family was very devastated, as you could understand. But the big issue is where is our faith? Can we see the second coming of Jesus and the healings that will occur at that moment in time? And that, that's so important to, to build people's faith rather than just getting fixated on the event, on the power, on the what we want in, the t- in, in time. And I think coming back to evangelism, that what's really important is, as you would know, as we journey along in, in evangelism, we cannot fabricate or manufacture a, an interest in the gospel. It just doesn't occur. It, there has to be a, a seed of faith in that person's life. And when there's that seed of faith, when there's that openness to receive the gospel, to learn about the history of God's love, to to explore the prophecies, that person will grow in their faith. And, and they may experience miracles. We may pray for them and they will experience powerful miracles. But the fact is this, it's still... That, that faith in their heart, that openness, that, that spiritual kind of longing, the, the willingness to learn and, and to trust, which is so important. And where there's that openness, where there's that faith, then miracles can happen. 
Miracles can happen because it's a faith which is the foundation. But whether they do happen or not, that's God's prerogative. He decides. That's it. And I wanted to just get back to an original question before before our time's up talking. Just in regards to why God does miracles. And I appreciated what you said and the conversation we had. The Bible says that that God is not willing that any would perish in First Peter three nine or Second Peter three nine, one of the two. I think it's second. And then in First Timothy two four, it says that He wants all to be saved. So we get a glimpse from Scripture into the heart of God, mm. and His ultimate concern is for people to live forever, to never die, and to accept salvation in Christ, to be born again, because the root of all physical evil is spiritual evil. Mm. Until you deal with that root, you're going to always have the consequence, which is suffering and misery and all the things we pray that God would relieve us from. Mm. So it's it stands to reason, and I think there's texts that explicitly communicate this, that the point of miracles from God's perspective is not to save people from physical difficulty, it's to save people's souls. And so God's going to produce miracles. He's going to grant miracle power when it would save people, when it's the best way to save people. And so to me, that's the foundational reason for miracles and why there aren't miracles at times. If it would save more people for a miracle to happen, then God will do a miracle. If it won't, then God won't. And I really think that's, to me, one of the main reasons. God's not willing for anyone to perish. He, he wants all to come to repentance. And so whatever course is going to bring the most people to repentance, that's the course that God will take. And I think we've got to keep that, that in mind sometimes. Further to this, I have a theory, and we were talking about this before. I'll give a metaphor. When you look up into the sky, you see what appears to be tons and tons of stars. And there are tons of stars. There's billions of stars out there in the universe, just billions and billions of stars. But scientists tell us that the space between the stars, when you calculate the space and the distance, it, it's so great that it, it really, in contrast to what you in the sky, it makes there seem to be relatively, it makes it that there are relatively few stars in the sky. And so if you were to ascend up into the, into the space above us, you would realize that those stars that appear to be so clustered and clumped together in the sky because they're so numerous are actually really far apart. And so you look back in time at scripture and you see these clumps of miracles and it seems like, wow, there's from you know Genesis to the apostolic era, it's total miracles happening all the time. But I really feel that's not how we should see things. And there are periods within scripture where even individuals in scripture say there's no more miracles anymore. And Gideon is, is one of those people who he says to the angel who comes to him in the book of Judges, like, hey, you're talking to me about being a deliverer. Miracles used to happen back in the old days, but they don't happen anymore. And that indicates very strongly that he was living in an age, Gideon, where no miracles happen. Like they didn't see any supernatural power. And so I think we've got to realize and understand that, that as a policy, as a general policy, God, he's not interfering. He's honoring free will. He sets up circumstances, gives the Holy Spirit. People can make choices within that, and there's the law of cause and effect, and that really is happening. Time and chance happens to everyone, according to Ecclesiastes. But in matters of extreme importance, in times of extreme need, God comes through. Not, as you were saying, to produce faith, but to confirm faith and to show a sign that 
we're going the right way or, or that to show the trajectory towards the kingdom of God. What do you think mm. about that? No, absolutely. And what I could also do is not only look back through history and it's important to to remember, say for example, the book of Acts was over a that was over a 20, 20 year period in many in many ways, when, when we look through the, the chapters and, and we think it's just bang, Paul's just doing these incredible things that he was. Yeah. But but there was a lot of time there when he was making tents, just talking to people about the kingdom of God, teaching them how to make disciples. And and we don't realize that. So the stars look a lot closer than they, they yeah. really are. But the other thing too is this, Matt, is that there are other cultures and societies where God knows that miracles are very important. And for example, in China, very communist country, as you would know, where where literally their schools teach them that the, the Bible is a bunch of fairy tales and that God doesn't exist. There are times where people will pray to God for healing. He heals them and they become Christians because of that. And, and that's a place where there's a whole lot of darkness, a whole lot of empty space. There's times where people in their faith cry out to God and it changes their lives and, and leads their family members to join as well. Another good example is, is India. I know some Indian pastors and what they tell me is that power ministry is very important in Hinduism because the difference between, say, for example, here in, in the West, we, we're really interested in rationality. We love apologetics. As I love apologetics and going through the arguments and the philosophy and all of those kind of things. Whereas for a Hindu... The issue is not about rationality, which line of reasoning makes more sense. For them, it's which religion is older. So they'll ask, how old is your church? And if we say we started in 1863 officially, that'd be, wow, you're a brat. You're a toddler. (laughs) You're not even off the mark. And it's okay. Okay, push it back to Jesus 2,000 years. 2,000 years? For them, they say Hinduism has been around for millions of years so they buy into the evolutionary kind of paradigms but for them it's age is important mature cheese or wine or whatever for them that's what they're looking for so for them they we look like teenagers and brats but the thing is this so if we argue with them and say our ideas are more rational than hindu ideas they will go it doesn't make it doesn't make any difference our religion is older whereas in a power ministry which adventist evangelists have been using to reach Hindus. One of the things is this, is that when they pray for healing, and if Jesus heals them, Hindus will become Christians just like that overnight because they experience the power of God. And what that tells me is this, is that God knows when he needs to use a miracle to reach somebody and when he doesn't. Here in the West, we have Bibles on our iPhones and smartphones. We have churches on every corner. We can meet a lot of, of Christians and, and Seventh-day Adventists. But in, in those countries where you've got billions of people, where they literally teach that the Bible is fairy tales or that it's a, it's a very young kind of religion and should be dismissed, God knows that, okay, in that, those places we need to step in. But in our society... We need to be saying, okay, what has God revealed to us and how can I put my trust in him? And that may involve miracles. God may choose to do it. But if he doesn't, just like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego said, we believe in God, foundational. We know that he can save us from the fire. But even if he doesn't, our faith will not be shaken. 
And it's the same in evangelism. We know that God can produce miracles. We know that God can work miracles. But what we need to say is we're going to trust him, come what may. Whether he works a miracle in this person's life or not, we're going to continue to teach the truth. We're going to continue to lead people to faith in in Jesus. And this is going to be our position. We're going to continue on trusting God, not just looking for miracles as the as the way that we will build faith or we put demands on God. No, it's about trusting the God of the Bible. Amen. Amen. There's a theological connection that I'd not seen before. But in Revelation 14, there's a group of people who, in the midst of extraordinary difficulty, they follow the Lamb wherever he goes. And then in chapter 15, they're seen on a sea of glass singing the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. I find that interesting because when you consider that group of people from Revelation 14, that their experience parallels the experience of the Israelites on their journey towards the earthly promised land. And Moses was their leader, basically, and he's the Jesus figure. There's lots of Jesus figures in the Old Testament, but he'd be the premier example of a messianic figure in the Old Testament. And when he was discussing with God his call to mission and his job to go save the Israelite people, he said to God, what will be the sign that you can give me to prove to me now that I'm going to succeed in this mission. And God says, the sign that I'm going to give you is you'll be back here on this mountain worshiping with the Israelites. And that's, it's a really, I don't want to say cheeky because that doesn't fit with God, but that's a really interesting response on God's part to say, hey, Moses, the sign that I'm going to give you is that you're going to succeed. So you're just going to have to trust me. It's going to be, you've got these impossible odds against you. you you've got to present yourself before Pharaoh and you've got to make this seemingly preposterous request. Let all of your slave labor force go free just because God says so. Yeah, what does that do to his economy? How does that look politically speaking for his power and his throne? Yeah, that, that seems impossible that a pagan king is going to say, yeah, sure, sure, take my slave labor force. No problem. Yeah, because an invisible person in the sky told you to tell me this. Yeah, great. And then to lead people who've been slaves into freedom. That's not as easy as it seems, right? Like in the United States of America, when the Emancipation Proclamation was signed, many slaves didn't leave because they'd become accustomed to being slaves and freedom was scarier to them than slavery. They got used to it. And so now you've got to lead these slaves from Egypt to the promise. That's hard. That's difficult. And Moses had totally commit himself to what God said. And the sign that would prove that he would be successful, that he would that would prove that he'd make it to the promised land as the savior and deliverer of the Israelites, it wasn't going to be given. He'd have these little, obviously there were signs, the plagues were signs, so to speak. Walking through the but, Red Sea. But that's right. But it, there, there wasn't like an ultimate sign where God gave him a picture of the future and it showed him on the mountain of Sinai. God said, no, no, the sign's going to be that that you're going to follow my will from step to step, from point to point, and eventually you're going to you're going to find yourself here, and that's going to be the ultimate sign. And yeah, I think that's a powerful insight to me personally, and for anyone who wants to save souls. And that is that first and foremost is the Word of God, and the signs are are part of the journey, but they're they're not the central feature. And yeah, anyways, that's the last thing I'm going to say, Sven. Do you want to? Close out the chat. Yeah, I, and I think that's a really good point as well because 
If there was any group of people whose faith should have just been overflowing and bursting to the extreme was the Israelites who came out of Egypt. They, they were a group of slaves. They'd seen 10 plagues and most of them they'd been protected from. They, they had come to the, the Red Sea and seen the waters part. That, that is incredible when you think about it. They walked on dry land. They'd seen their, their enemies completely destroyed behind them without even lifting a, a sword or a spear or a, shooting an arrow. And then they, they had water from a rock. They had manna. They, they even had Kentucky Fried Quail, <laughs> all of these kind of things. And yet they, all of these amazing signs, and yet they still grumbled. And they, when Moses headed up the, the mountain, they said, we've lost our leader. We need to make a new God and a new leader. And, and you had the golden calf. And it really demonstrates that it, it's not just miracles which grow and generate faith we need to trust god and love is the key yes love if you love me you will keep my commandments yes paul admonishes us to the faith that works through love yes and if you love god then you'll follow him into the promised land but if you're using him to get you out of difficulty you won't yes and the key there is this it's very human to lose heart get discouraged wonder where we're going but as alan white said we have nothing to fear for the future lest we forget what is how god has led us and his teachings in our past mm-hmm. and what we need to do is this if the israelites had just said let's go back Let's go back to the the Passover, the Exodus, the march through the Red Sea, the water from a rock, manna, all of those kind of things. They would have reinforced their faith. They would have said, yes, we can see God's leading in our past. We can keep on moving to the future. And that's what we need to do with the the people in the community, the, the people that we are sharing the gospel with. We need to take them back and say, Let's explore what God has done for us in the past, what he's shared with us, and, and he will continue to do this in, in the future. He'll make a difference in our lives. And that's what I'd encourage us to do. Rather than demanding that God performs miracles, let's trust him at every step of the way, uh-huh. remembering what he has done for us. Amen. Amen, guys. Thank you so much for joining us again for All Things Evangelism. I hope that you were as blessed as I was chatting to Pastor Sven. It's always good, Sven. Thank you again for coming. God bless you guys as you continue to follow the Lamb wherever he goes because you love him and therefore you follow him. And ultimately speaking, you'll follow him all the way home. God bless you and we'll see you next week.